this week on Inside Motorsport, we look at the Bathurst 12-hour. I hope you'll stay with us. Jordan Mullock joins us on the line as we look firstly at the Bathurst 12-hour, which you can read some of Jordan's works all there at the bathurst12hour.com.au website. What a weekend. How many hours consecutively were you working over the 12-hour race day? Oh, I think that I would have started working when the race did. So uh, that was about 5.45 in the morning and didn't leave the circuit until about 8 or 8.30. But, you know, by no means was I the hardest working one there. There were so many the photographers who were out in the heat of the day and that was not just Sunday, but Saturday was, uh, was pretty impressive outside as well as, you know, the commentary team. The fact that I only saw uh, Richard Crow and Johnny Palmer and John Heinhoff exit the booth once throughout the day each was uh, was pretty astounding. So, no, it's it's a long day, but it's probably the most rewarding of the year for us. And it certainly is a fantastic race that is garnering so much momentum with support, not only across Australia but worldwide, which is something you would have seen how much international interest there was on the uh, website oh absolutely but it wasn't just on our website the fact is that you, you know as well as i do just how much space there is in that media center um when we head there in october for the Bathurst 1000 but over the weekend the they literally had to roll out the trestle tables to make space for more media i think uh richard crow put out a tweet that there was something in excess of 120 or 130 accredited media there um, representing about 12 or 13 different countries. So it's not just that we have the interest in it because, you know, you see the familiar faces that you do all year round supercars events, but you have all these media. A lot of them were actually at Daytona the weekend before covering the 24-hour uh, where we had some Australians win in class and overall there. So the event is really, really picking up uh, some steam and momentum internationally. This year was the 10th year of GT cars in it, uh, and there is going to be a book coming out uh, done by Aaron Noonan and Richard Crowell on those 10 years of GT racing, which will be covering all all 10 years, but all the cars that have competed over that time. So, yeah, it, it's amazing how this event has really, really taken off over the last decade, and also the fact that it's the biggest three-day crowd that we've ever seen there. So... Yeah, it's just coming in leaps and bounds. We notice it on our website, but you also physically notice it when everyone else surrounding you speaks with uh, a bit of an accent. Mm. And the crowd there, even though there was oppressive heat in the build-up, was still extremely solid across the entire three days, which is great news for the future of it. Absolutely. It really uh, enforces that and really strengthens it that this is going to be Australia's international endurance event. And even though it's not uh, looking like it'll overtake the Bathurst 1000 anytime soon, if all that ended tomorrow, motorsport fans would still have something to go to. And you, you still have everyone there from all kinds of different, different demographics, you know, those that are into exclusively sports car racing to just your general fans who love motorsports. So it's really, really great to um, and yeah, it, it just really bodes well for the event going into the future. Whilst it's a 12 hour race on Sunday, Absolute Racing managed to get through the carnage in the morning open qualifying sessions and then take the pole shootout 
with Matt Campbell putting the 911 Porsche GT3R on the pole position. No, that that was an amazing lap from Matty Campbell. I think with the amount of different cars that were in the shootout there on the uh, on the Saturday afternoon, everyone was really questioning who'd do well because we'd seen on Friday that as a cause of practice, it was naturally aspirated cars that were really excelling because the heat was just that horrible there that the turbos couldn't make any air. They were getting a lot of heat soak. Um, so for the naturally aspirated Porsche to still be quick on the run up and down the hill, but especially across it, I think Matt was over four tenths clear when he got to the end of the first sector, about seven tenths clear at the second, and then he played it a bit conservatively to the line. But no, that that was an amazing lap and really, really backed up uh, his stocks and you know the fact that he is one of Australia's greatest exports at the moment. It just strengthens the fact that uh, Porsche's done a really, really good job signing him to their driver program, which is probably the strongest in the world if you look at all the drivers that have that have gone through there. Um, it almost was a shame because as great as the uh, the Bamthor combination was with Craig Lowndes, you would have loved to have seen it with Matt Campbell as well. I think that would have undeniably been the uh, the strongest car in the field. But you know, lo and behold, the uh, the Alabama Motorsport number one entry did have brake issues on the Sunday anyway, and then on eleven faced its own problems. So even though the Porsches um, probably weren't the strongest entries over the weekend, they were, they were really punching above their weight, uh, especially on the Saturday and qualifying trim. Now, on race day, or before we got to race day, we did see a lot of carnage and some very weird accidents on the mountain. They There were some shocking, shocking crashes. Yeah, the one for the number 62 armored sport, Aston Martin, was yeah probably one of the biggest ones that I've ever seen. Um, you know, I've seen photos of light aircraft crashes, but that have looked worse or better than that. Um, you know, you, I've never seen a car roll at that stage uh, between Sullivan Park and McFilmy Park. So that that was pretty amazing. Um, amazing that, you know, as we're becoming accustomed to see these days, the driver got out and walked away, um, which, you know, probably about 10 years ago, don't know if we'd, we'd be saying the same thing. Um, that and also the crash between Sam Shaheen and uh, Cam McCombell and also Tyler Everingham at the top at McFilmy Park. That was a, a bit of a weird one and, you know, resulted in a, another Roland Dane blow-up, which wasn't justified. Um, you know, he was pretty much calling for Cam McConville's head, saying that he didn't have any talent and should have retired a long time ago. But when the onboard footage of the Lamborghini was released, it showed that she had actually touched the brakes. So, uh, yeah, you, you don't know why that kind of stuff happens. Personally, I don't understand why they had a an AM driver out in qualifying anyway. I get that they're trying to get their uh, laps up and knowledge of the circuit up, but, you know, for such an intense session and an important one throughout the weekend, to chuck an AM driver on the track and, you know, not give it to someone like Anton D. Pasquale who would have brought the car back straight and it ended their weekend, that was um, that was quite confusing. And then to cap it all off, we had Dean Canto doing his best uh, impression of a reverse parallel park up at McFilmy Park um, and somehow vaulting the tyre barrier. So I think moving into the future, Bathurst has to look a lot at uh, the containment of crashes. The 
the dangerous nature to the circuit is something that keeps everyone coming back and that's why everyone loves it so much. You you wouldn't love it as much if, you know, at the exit of Solomon Park or, you know, the metal grape, there was 50 metres of runoff. You love the fact that there's concrete walls lining it. But the problem is the, the containment of debris for fans, um, you know, that land again, you could have easily, easily ended up uh, over the fence and, mm. and into the crowd. So that's something that they'll have to look at going forward. Come race day and in the first half an hour of racing, we saw drivers not putting Saturday behind them. They were mixing it as up as if it was the last five laps of the race. They were absolutely going for it. Um, we've, we've set it in the 1,000 for a few years, but it's pretty much become a 1,000k sprint. This has now become a 12-hour sprint race. And uh, Ben Barnico opened the driving in the number 60 uh, McLaren, the 59 racing McLaren 720S. Uh, he was second on the road to uh, Maximilian Buch in the 999 Grupper M car. And the fact that, yeah, within the first half hour of racing, you know, not even one twenty-fourth of the way through the race, and he made an absolute ball to the wall, send it, move down uh, down the chase, and the cars made contact. Like, if, if it had been another 20 or so centimetres to the right, they probably would have both been in the gravel trap and that would have been day over. But the, the fact that they made the contact, he showed the intention, and then just checked out down the road um, and there was even more fighting back in the pack just showed how seriously they take the race and how intense it is and that really you can't let up because with the time the race starts at 5.45 it's pretty much the the coldest, coolest and fastest temperatures throughout the day so if you're going to make a move and make a difference which those turbo cars ultimately needed to do early on the day, you've got to do it within that first one or two hours uh, before the, the road started to heat up. So that that was really, really great to see the fact that they didn't care that, you know, it was the sun hadn't yet come up over the Blue Mountains. Um, you know, they, they were absolutely going from it, for it right from the get-go. Well, 11 and a half hours later, and it was possibly the most popular win in the uh, 10 years of the GT era at the 12-hour when the Bentley M Sports Continental came across the line in first place? It, it was an amazing result. Uh, the fact that it took them so long to do it, I think, added to the the specialness of the occasion. Um, the fact that I think it was their fifth or sixth uh, running, uh, yeah, since first entering with the Continental GT3 in 2014 or 15. Um so, yeah, it was really, really popular. There were a lot of people there who celebrated it. Um, it, it was amazing because I thought that last year, Matt Campbell's win, you know, and absolutely going for it in his last 20 minutes to, to win that race would be the most popular one. But um, at the moment, uh, I believe Speed Cafe is running one of their famous polls on the the race and pretty much asking, you know, who, who's been the favourite or most popular winners over the last 10 years and the resounding uh, most popular vote at the moment is the Bentley crew. So whether that's just because it's fresh and in people's minds or whether it's because they genuinely think that, you know, regardless, it's it's really put the the brand at the front of everyone's mind. And the fact that they won it from 11th on the grid, which is the lowest in the history of the 12-hour, and that includes the old production car days, 
really showed just how much uh, how much they deserved it. And don't forget that they sat out some of Friday afternoon practice with engine dramas. So um, it's one of those weird old Bathurst things where you don't necessarily need to qualify or, you know, do well in the lead up to the race. As long as you're there in the last half an hour of Sunday, it's all sweet. And we have a opportunity now to hear from Jules Gunon, who took out the victory. He was the driver in the car as across the finish line at Bathurst. Unreal. Uh, I was seeing the thunder and I was like, every weekend our slogan is bring the thunder and I was like, please, <laughs> not now, let us drive. The car has been unreal all weekend, all race long. M Sport has done a fantastic job. I'm 12 hour Bathurst winner. I can't believe it. Yes! <laughs> It's, it's huge. Uh, since three years, we had a huge potential with this new car. The car is really, really good. We only had bad luck. My teammate Jordan and Max did a fantastic job. My engineer brother also, and all the team. And it was an interesting trio in that M Sport Bentley Continental, wasn't it? You had Gunon, whose father was known for racing at the Adelaide Grand Prix, Maxim Solette. You had the South African in Jordan Pepper. Yeah, it, it, but it was a weird mix of uh, of nationalities. But I guess that's that's GT racing. That's that's the international uh, appeal of it. That really you can have a a mix of any drivers you like. And it, it's strange because we we all came into the event with thirty odd GT three cars into the biggest GT field ever at the twelve hour. And literally, you could take the first twenty cars or pretty much every single one that was in the pro class and go. Yeah, that's not a chance for the win. But heading into Sunday, especially with how the grid was set, I didn't even think the Bentleys would be up there. They just didn't look to, to have the edge over the weekend, either in qualifying or race run trim. But again, it's one of those weird Bathurst things that they found themselves in the lead pretty much at the six-hour mark or just beforehand. And then after that, at every one or two-hour mark, that number seven was still out in front. So... Um, it, it was a really consistent run from all of them. Nothing too special. Um, they were the most important thing always is to just remain on the lead lap, and they did that. I think in the opening stint or even in the opening hour, they dragged it up from 11th to 6th or 7th in the running order. So it was always there, and it was always punching at the front. So... Those three drivers, uh, their their efforts were certainly rewarded with the victory. And yeah, as we said before, it was such a popular one. It's probably even made even more popular by the fans that were there, given that just as the car crossed the line, the heavens opened after threatening for the past hour or two before the uh, before the flag came out, and then they suddenly opened up. So you got to wonder what would have happened if it had been about five minutes earlier. Maxim Solet and Jordan Pepper are also speaking after the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hour. I can't believe it, you know. Uh, Jordan, Jules, I think we, all three of us, did an amazing job. It was pushed the whole way through, and we've got luck with us. The rain is starting now, so uh, super happy. I mean, super happy. <laughs> I have no words, I honestly. The rain gods held off and that, that was ours to win and the boys put in an amazing effort all weekend. It's been tough for them. Difficult Friday, difficult Saturday with other car and I'm glad that they turned things around and we can give them with a win. Our thanks to Supercars Media for those grabs. After 12 hours, the race still wasn't settled as 
there was an incident in the last 10 minutes of the race which saw the Group AM Mercedes given a time penalty after the chequered flag, which bumped him off the podium, which saw the 59 racing McLaren in second and the Mercedes of Shane Van Gisbergen and Jamie Winkup and Maximilian Gotts taking the final step on the podium. No, it was uh, it was actually the, the triple nine Grappa M car that initially finished second uh, with um, Maximilian Book, uh, Raffaele Marcello. Yeah, I yep. think they were actually handed a penalty because uh, the car didn't turn off when they came in for a pit stop and that really caused a lot of dramas, and they were given the time penalty. So, yes, that, that elevated uh, the 59 Racing McLaren as well as the 888 Mercedes uh, up, up a few spots. And for 888, that was a well-deserved podium, especially after missing out on it last year. Um, that was probably one of the, the highest-rated cars coming into last year's race, but like a lot of the Mercs in 2019, they had a massive uh, brake drama, whereas where the ABS just wasn't activating at a certain point. Um, so for their efforts to be paid off this year was certainly great for the team. Um, you can see that they were really elated after the race. They probably would have thought that they'd be a bit higher up, but to be battling uh, at the end, there was an amazing battle between uh, Shane Van Gisberg and, and Matt Campbell chasing him down behind in the 911 portion. Uh, there was an interesting uh, quote that Van Gisbergen came up with where he was getting annoyed at Campbell or at least uh, amused by the Australian that he was flashing his lights at him. So Van Gisbergen's response was to hit the hazards on the Mercedes and uh, Fox Sports actually put up a very good article with some gifts of, of it that you can see from the outside and also onboard Campbell's car of the hazards flashing on the Mercedes in front. So... That was a good bit of mind games. But you've got to remember that those two actually drove together in the uh, 2017 Supercars Enduro Cup. So it's not like there's any bad blood between them. Um, but, you know, races are races and they'll do anything to stay in front of one, in front of one another. So, no, that was a great result for Triple Eight and also the 59 racing entry, which really wasn't even a thing uh, about a week or two before the race. That was a very, very last-minute deal. So for uh, Ben Barnico, Tom Blomquist, some of the great uh, Stig Blomquist, who won the World Rally Championship, and also Alvaro Perrent, who won the 2016 Bathurst 12-hour with Shane Van Gisbergen and John O'Webb in a uh, McLaren 650S. Um, that was an amazing result for them, given that they led through most of the day. They'd gotten a 30-second penalty throughout the day for a, a pit stop infringement or a pit lane speeding infringement. And they'd actually absolutely destroyed the rear window of one of the Mark cars uh, heading up Mountain Straight because I think it was the Mark number 20 entry. Its rear window had come off and um, the Perspex was just sitting on the ground and the McLaren hit it and it shattered into a million and one pieces. So, again, it was another one of those incidents where you think that could have ended up a lot worse if it was around a spectator-heavy area. Um, but, yeah, with that podium, it was a very, very popular one. Um, and the class victories were pretty amazing too. So the Grove Racing entry won the, the Pro-Am class and then um, the Silver class was also won by Ocala. But I think Martin Kodrick was in it near the end and almost had the fastest lap of the race until Kelvin van der Linde took that away from him in the uh, the Triple Two Audi. So 
yeah, amazing finish to the race, really deserving podium, and it really makes you look ahead to next year's race and wonder how can we top that. What's amazing to me is that a 30-second penalty after 12-hour race of racing drops you five places on the uh, finishing order. And, and think about how long that green flag run was at the end as well and just how much green flag running we had throughout the day. There was a period there in the middle where we reset the records for the most green, green flag uh, time in the race's history, and it was four hours and ten minutes. Like, uh, imagine that pretty much over a third of the distance of the race was cu- in, in one section was covered under the green flag. So that was pretty special to see. And, yes, the fact that they were also close towards the end. Um, a lot of people thought that with the seven Bentley winning that their 30-odd second margin when they crossed the line was pretty impressive. On the lap before, it was 55 seconds clear of the chasing pack. So the fact that he backed off that much on the last lap just to be safe, but it, it was nearly a minute lead, so half a lap ahead of the pack. That shows the domination of the Bentley this weekend. It was a great weekend, and Jordan, it's been great to cover it with you. Thanks, Craig. I enjoyed looking back at it. Thanks very much to Jordan Mullick here on Inside Motorsport. That's all we have time for on this edition of the show. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.